Well, there you have another episode of Straight Out of Combat Radio, audio medicine by Green Zone Hero. On this episode, we have the Fatherhood Sensei, United States Marine veteran Ben Colloy. He is on a serious mission to help people with their self-care, but more importantly, how they can integrate themselves, primarily the, the fathers, into their family units to be the men they can be. I got to tell you, listen to this one because Ben has a lot of good tips and he is fascinating. And thank you for listening to another episode of Straight Out of Combat Radio. Your steely-eyed killer shadow in the night You were born to fight You gotta light em up My name is John Krotek, and I want to welcome you to Straight Out of Combat Radio, audio medicine by Green Zone Hero. We're here to honor the wisdom of America's most valuable asset for combat veterans. We're authentic, we're empowering, we're American. Our guest for this episode of Straight Outta Combat Radio, Audio Medicine by Green Zone Hero, is United States Marine Mr. Ben Colloy. I met Ben several weeks ago. We've been trying to get this interview going. He was at the PodFest Multimedia Expo in Orlando, and I had about 15 minutes to talk to him. I knew right away, this is a guy that I need to have on the show. So he's here. Ben has turned his former Marine Corps life into blogging, life coaching, speaking, and now podcasting. And by the way, he just went over 10,000 downloads on his own podcast, and he's going to tell us more about that. He's been very busy, to say the least. Ben seeks to bring military veteran dads home to their families. Right now, he resides in Milton, Wisconsin, with his wife and three beautiful kids. I know he's cold up there right now. It's actually snowing out. I can only imagine, man. You know, anybody that's in Wisconsin, you know, they, you guys and ladies up there just, <laughs> you know what winters are all about. Down here, it's ridiculous. It gets 75 degrees and people put a jacket on. But anyhow, Ben went through what most transitioning veterans go through of redefining their identities and rediscovering their passions and their purpose for life. One seminar, one, changed it all for him and has helped Ben realign his passion for leadership. Since then, he has been on a mission to master leadership principles and use his passion for leadership to help dads understand who they are, develop the skills to overcome adversity, and own their life and choices truly come home to their life. Welcome to Straight Out of Combat Radio, Ben. I'm honored and, and, and humbled to have you here, man. I am super excited because I've been shadow stalking you for years now. And then we got to meet about a, over a month ago. And so then we cemented the relationship and moved past stalking to flirting. And now we're going into the more intimate part of our friendship, just getting to know each other on a deeper level and making it a podcast as well no absolutely you crack me up brother you know that's funny man but uh if we are dating now in, in all the sense of the word and uh i just don't want our wives to get upset but thanks for dating me i'm positive your marriage is well-rounded and capable of handling a second uh relationship i think so too thanks and not and obviously for you too but you know you know before we get into the meat of what you're doing with these dads and and doing it in, in grand style tell us about the ben Kaloy upbringing. What was that all about? Where did it happen? Who are your mentors? How did you even make it to the Marine Corps? It's an odd story of how I made it to the Marine Corps, but going back before the Marine Corps, I grew up on a farm just about 30 minutes here away from my house where I live now in Wisconsin. And growing up on a farm, 
we were isolated. I didn't have a lot of chance to play with kids outside in the neighborhood like other city kids did. It was pretty much life on the farm. Our our farm was a little bit removed from the road. And so when my grandma and grandpa purchased a farm in the 60s, they farmed it, raised my my dad and his family, their sisters. And then my dad took over the farm. And then that's where I was raised. He's essentially lived in the same house for most of his life. But my grandmother made a house at the end of the driveway. And so she was always down there. And early in life, like she was my first best friend, hands down. Like she was there when you get off the bus. She was there during the summer. Like if it was dinner time, I would compare if my mom's dinner or my grandma's dinner was better. And I would call my grandma up and say, tell my mom, like, hey, I'm going to grandma's for dinner because it was just a bike ride down the road. So she was always there. And like grandmothers are kind of like a warm chocolate chip cookie. They're always there. They're always warm. And they're always ready to make you feel better. That's awesome. And so like that really kind of was my first like real friendship. But then it also like the thing about grandmothers, it's very much unconditional love. And like having that, it wasn't even till like maybe five years ago that I really realized what impact my grandmother had. Like I knew who she was to me, but I didn't really realize what core she gave me of who I was. So I would say I learned from my grandmother, maybe on the I did 4-H in sewing. I did shorts. I did the whole thing in 4-H. I learned how to bake. I can still make a mean pie. I know how to bake bread. I know all of these different things because that's what my grandma was doing all the time. And that really kind of shaped who I was in those early years. Then like in third grade, I got a neighbor next door and then we became best friends for pretty much all of high school and still are today. Awesome. And that at least got me outside playing with another boy and doing boy things and baseball and football and really helped kind of like just grow that part of me up, but I still had this lacking of friendships. It was still something that I didn't feel confident and I just didn't feel comfortable in my own skin because when you go through school and if you don't know who you are and you don't necessarily have someone helping you figure that out, you're going to try to become someone else. And so I was always trying to manipulate my personality or adapt it to what I thought other people wanted me to be, to be friends with. And so that was kind of this thing I kept chasing over and over and over. It was a theme through almost all of my school. I'm glad you pointed that out, man, because that's like 95% of all of us, you know, we're trying to figure all this out. And I was like you, man, I learned how to sew on buttons. I knew, I knew all about measurements in the kitchen and all the stuff. It wasn't my grandma. It was basically my mom, but it's like, <laughs> we, we kind of have a lineage there, but you're right, man. We go through, or most people go through, they don't know who they are. So I'm glad you pointed that out. Really, I am. What you don't realize in that is when you're chasing something else, you're losing yourself in the process. So every time you move to a place where you're not to be something that you're not, you lose a little bit of yourself. And so when I was in high school, you're at the point where you got to figure out what you want to do. I was exploring colleges, but it didn't necessarily feel right. I liked FFA. Like that was something I really geeked out on. I got it and learned a whole bunch of stuff about computers doing it and website design. I was all in within the FFA stuff. Like kind of that was like my first place I felt like I belong without really having to manipulate myself too much. But then it came to the choice of like, okay, what's to do afterwards? And so I wanted computers. And so I was like, okay, the easiest branch of military is the Air Force. They're very computerized. I'm going to go there because I didn't want to shoot stuff up. I didn't want to be a grunt. I didn't want to be on boats. The Army really wasn't interesting me. And so I just really wanted computers. So I was like, Air Force, go to the Air Force. I met the recruiter. He came out to our house. We talked to him. Everything seemed fine. And I would probably, it was maybe two weeks away from joining the Air Force. And then the event that changed my life or the first event that really changed my life, the church picnic. So the last <laughs> thing you would expect to find at a Catholic church picnic is a bouncy house from the Marine recruiter. 
But that's exactly what was there this August of uh, probably 2002. And I didn't go over to him. I mean, he was intimidating. He's a Marine. And my research, which is very limited and completely wrong, was I thought Marines were just a bunch of grunts. Like they were just an infantry branch of the military. Right. <laughs> and so I, I didn't even really dig into him just because it seemed scary. It, I was just like, I'm not that kind of guy. I couldn't run. I couldn't do a pull up. I've never been a person that was physically fit. I would have been least likely voted to join the Marine Corps. But, but the other twist of fate, my mom was really nervous about me going to the Air Force. So she did. I can't even fathom what she was thinking because she probably regretted it after it happened. <laughs> she went over to the recruiter first because she wanted to yeah. make sure that I was exploring all my options before I go into the Air Force. Like they say your son wants to go to the Air Force and then for your mom to be like, you know what? Are you really making the right choice? I think we need to talk to the Marines. Like that's the opposite <laughs> of what most moms want to do. But she did that. And then then I get sucked over. <laughs> and then so then where I'm talking to the recruiter, little did I know he was number one recruiter in Wisconsin three years in a row. And so then I quickly find out Oh, the Marine Corps has computers. They have everything that everybody else has. It's just I was not seeing the full picture. So I met him on Tuesday in the guidance counselor's office. And two weeks later, I raised my right hand for the Marine Corps. Wow. And honestly, I did it probably because I didn't have the balls to tell him no. And but then at the same time, as I reflected back, it was kind of like my dare to be great moment. Like I had always kind of taken the easy path. Like I knew what hard work was growing up on the farm, but I had never really pushed myself like to choose a road not traveled for myself. Right. And that was really that first defining moment joining the Marine Corps because every part of boot camp for me was a test that I had never been done. Like people that kind of grew up maybe in the city that had a hard life, they had to fight for their every inch of space they had in the city. They were more resilient in boot camp than I was. I was always the person that didn't feel like I belonged there. I didn't feel like I've, I, I was always scared. And I remember there's a point in when I was up north in Camp Pendleton during the field week that I had point one point had just broke down and I started crying because I was getting picked on by the other Marines in the boot camp. And it was just it was beat me up. I was kind of going back to that original memory in high school and stuff. And like that moment actually brought people closer to me because then people realized they needed to protect this Marine within the group, because that's what you do when you're Marines, you protect everybody. And that helped me get through. And then the moment that changed, the second moment that changed my life is when the Eagle Globe and Anchor was putting my, my hand. Like, I've been really reflecting on that moment in the past few months because that was such a powerful moment where I earned something that very few people get to earn that's with me for the rest of my, my life. And I've been using that moment, that feeling when that Eagle Globe and Anchor at graduation was pressed into my hand. And I can see that my dad's face in the crowd and the, the stands looking at me and knowing that they're proud of of me of what I just accomplished. And I'm proud of myself for what I've accomplished because that feeling that you're proud of yourself is something that haunts a lot of people, a lot of people. Yeah. And I know you've probably gone through it. And for me, that's like an anchor memory of when I was the most proudest of in my life because I did something for 13 weeks that was extremely challenging and I did it and I survived and I accomplished it. And that was kind of like my first big step into who I am today. That's like an awesome moment. You know, I want to also find out who else was there at your graduation. But can you think of one time you just relayed one, you know, about people coming to your defense. But can you think of one thing that stands out in your mind besides the yellow footprints where you went, holy cow, this is the real deal. I'm actually in boot camp now and this thing is happening. And then I want to talk more about who was at your graduation. I would say for me, when this thing is happening, it's probably uh, 
the very first time they tear up the squad bay because that's kind of frightening. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what the next steps are. And you're like, did they just really mess up this place? They yell at us to keep clean and they did it on purpose. Like that's when you realize that this is going in for the long haul and you're also not going to be able to expect what you're going to, what to expect. So like that moment, I'm like, this is it. The other moment that really kind of was the second challenging is uh, the crucible, which is a 48 hour adventure with like three MREs and little sleep at night. I remember going through that because I wasn't good at any of this stuff and humping and hiking, all that stuff. And I remember that in Camp Pendleton, there's a mountain called Mount Motherfucker. And it's the last mountain you climb before the whole thing is over. And I remember standing at the bottom. I can still remember looking up. It was a cloudy day and foggy, so you couldn't actually see the top. So you start <laughs> hiking up this mountain that you don't know where it ends. You're just told that it ends. And up there, you read some Marine Corps story or history story about some, uh, I can't remember, some Marine probably. And like that was kind of like, they used to give the Eagle Golden Anchor, but then they rewired boot camp. And then that was just kind of the ending of the Crucible. But it begins a downhill journey towards earning and the Eagle Wilbur Anchor on uh, back in San Diego. But that moment was also like, I just accomplished this very hard task. And I honestly have never been tested like that in my entire life. And so as you get out of the Marine Corps, you forget those tests. You forget what you were capable of doing when you dug in deep and you looked into your soul. But that boot camp for me, especially as a Marine, like knowing who I was in the beginning, knowing what I was looking for, a lot of my... A lot of who I was 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 uh, pulled to the surface during boot camp. That's awesome, man. You know, congratulations. So you, you mentioned your dad was there. And I, I can't even imagine a feeling. I, I I understand it, too. Like, I think my dad was the only one that showed up when I went through Army boot camp. He came up to South Carolina. But, you know, who else was there for you? I My my mom and dad were both my, my, both my sisters. So I have just two sisters, no brothers. And then my aunt and my cousin were both there. They all came out to San Diego. And my family doesn't travel. Like our vacations were very limited. And so the idea of the whole family going to San Diego, which they've never been, I I don't even know if any other than maybe my mom and dad at one point a long time ago, they maybe went to California once. Like to go there, to go through this experience, to see it. Like there's not a lineage of Marine Corps in our history. There's not a lineage of military service. So like this whole thing was kind of surreal. And at the same time, like I remember when I got back, I, so you write letters and everything, but like you understand the process that your parents went through when you're boot camp. Like it was like I was in the boot camp in the fall, so my dad was often in the combine down in the field. Like if there was a letter that came through the mail, they would literally go and find dad to go read it. Awesome, man. That's really that nice, was. You know? uh, it was, and, and, and they could always. My sister was always saying like anywhere my dad was or anywhere they'd go, all he would talk about is updating everybody on my adventures. That's awesome, man. You know, I'm glad you pointed that out too. A lot of, a lot of good tips here because family's important, and you know, I'm sure that that had a lot to do with the foundation before you even went in the Marine Corps, and you were able to rely even on the lessons you learned on the farm. So, that's awesome, man. And congratulations again. So, so you you get out. Where did you? What was your first permanent duty station? So my per- permanent duty station was Okinawa, which was kind of a long defining moment because that really taught me perspective and adding depth. And so I've been to Korea four times. I've been to the Philippines, Australia. I've been to DMZ where those blue houses are. I've stared down the North Koreans there. Like all of that really shapes your view of the world, but then also it really shapes how you fit into it and where your skill set and your heart can best help change the world too. So like I'm, I'm not, nobody in my family even has a passport. They've been to Canada once in, the, in like after we've, they've had kids. So 
like nobody travels internationally. No one's left the country for so this farm guy from Wisconsin to go to Okinawa and live in Japan for three years was like super strange feeling for most of the family. And it was hard because I was gone. But at the same time, for me, like that was something that really changed who I was. But again, it didn't really change. It just helped me add depth to who I was, which depth is something many people don't actually spend a lot of time adding to their soul. No, you know, you're exactly right, Ben. So you're here you are, this Wisconsin farm boy. You're over in Okinawa. You're traveling to Philippines, Australia, all these crazy places. Did you know what the mission was? How did you feel about that? At this point, over there, I mean, over there, you're really just training for a war with Korea and training for uh, almost more public relations with different countries. So when you go to the Philippines, you're just training together to help build goodwill. When you go to Australia, you're just building and goodwill with the Australians, Koreans the same way. When you go to Korea, you're practicing a war with North Korea, but you're really just building goodwill with the Korean military. So a lot of it was kind of just the being there, going through the process. A lot of it you don't really understand because you're just kind of going through the motions that the most officers don't go do a good job explaining why it's important. You're just told what to do as an enlisted. But I would say towards the end, when you start moving up in the ranks, you start getting more pieces of the breadcrumbs that come down from the chain of command. You start to understand what's going on and where you fit in and what you can do. But a lot of it was just kind of rinse and repeat. I was generator mechanics. So we supported the command element in the, the main like tent city that the generals would set up. So we had a pretty big mission, but and it really was just to keep the lights on so they could keep fighting their little simulated war. But at the same time, it doesn't necessarily mean much. It means more like when you read a headline about North Korea, like when you actually have been to an exercise to try to train to fight a war or been to Seoul like that means or even be the DMZ like you all of that happens and feels a little bit deeper and you realize that if we ever did win the war or 10 million people would be dead overnight because Seoul is 20 minute ride from the North Korean border yeah like no most people don't put that type of emotion to it but I've been to Seoul I know like you put those thoughts you go to the DMZ you realize how close we've been and then you realize this, how high the stakes are. So it probably wasn't until later that I was able to reflect back and like what we were actually doing. So, you know, and, and that being said, can you reflect or maybe, you know, how, how did the other fighting forces around the world that you guys trained with, how did they, how did they respond to working with you guys? I would say most of in the Asia Pacific, they almost always love working with uh, the Americans in Thailand. When we, I didn't go to Thailand, but the Marines deploy like every other year for Balakatan. Everyone generally loves that camaraderie because it's less about the actual like training to fight, but it's training to understand. And I don't think I've ever said it that way, but a lot of what the world is missing is training to understand each other, that there's more that to understand about each other, that we're similar than we're different. And the more threads of fabric that you can add, to, if you have two pieces of cloth and you start sewing down the middle, the more things that connect these two pieces of fabric together the more likely you are to understand each other, create empathy, be able to just negotiate properly that could, because you have this solid thread of understanding. So I think that's something that almost all the military branches minus China, because I don't think we do much training with China, more training to prevent China. But when you do with the ones we do, the nations, it's almost always about building to understand because as Americans are almost our default is judge. And in the military in Asia, your default, is to understand how can how can you build camaraderie because it's always this, this saying like wins the hearts and minds them versus trying to beat them with a gun 
if you win the hearts and minds of the people, you can move a mountain. And MacArthur did it similar in the Philippines. Like they worshiped MacArthur in the Philippines. Like when he came back, like that was something it was more about building to understand because they understood each other in a way that was mutual versus like we didn't get we weren't seen as occupiers in the Philippines. Right. And that's a good way of putting it. So. You know, even in, t- in light of today, I, l- I like the way you frame that, because even in light of today, you know, everybody hunkered down globally with this coronavirus contagion. You know, it's it's about it's a good opportunity to ha- to understand each other and realize that, you know, with this invisible enemy, we're really not alone. And so I can imagine that the skill sets and the experiences you had in the Marine Corps are helping you through this time as well. So and we're going to get to the leadership that you exhibit soon. So. Can you think of one instance or maybe, you know, something you'd like to share about your time on active duty that sticks out in your mind? Another one of those aha moments like, wow, I'm, you know, I'm a U.S. Marine and we're on a serious mission. Is there something you can think of? There's maybe two moments that kind of solidified it. So I was like my, uh, so there's lots of trips to Iwo Jima from Okinawa because it's like an hour and a half, maybe two hours, C-130. I might be over underestimating that memory because it's not pleasant riding a C-130 no. on a, to an island in the middle of the Pacific. But going to the Iwo Jima, which was like two months before getting out of the Marine Corps. So like before wrapping up, going to like the most sacred ground in the Marine Corps and going to the beach, climbing Mount Suribachi, even getting out winded, climbing it, um, and but then making it to the top. I left my original boot camp dog tags on top of Mount Suribachi. But like that journey and understanding our roots of like what the grit of Marine Corps had during that war, similar to visiting the battle sites in Okinawa, like going to Hacksaw Ridge in Okinawa. And it didn't really cement what it meant at Hacksaw Ridge until I watched the movie Hacksaw Ridge. And I was like, whoa, I've been there. And there's another moment in the from the Marine Corps that I didn't really figure out till the, the leadership part got redefined about 10 years after getting out that I only made it to corporal. That was my highest rank, but there was an opportunity for us to become platoon sergeant. We were kind of rotating through the corporals we had and giving each one three months to keep everybody's personal stuff in line. And during that three months time, something happened or I, I, I figured out a skill set that I really liked, which was, a lot of times in the Marine Corps and every branch of service, there's people that just don't fit in. They fall below the standard. And instead of trying to lift them up, they generally just get pushed down further. They get picked on. In the old days, they would have been hazed harder because that would have been the method like, I'm going to beat this method into you that the Marine Corps wants you to do. Instead of trying to help pull something out, they'll try to push something in. And so when I was platoon sergeant, one of the things that I really loved was taking Marines that people had given up on or other NCOs would just kind of like throw his like uh, bags of ass. Like that guy is not a good Marine and really try to see potential and pull it out. And that's a little bit like what leadership is because you're trying to find something, help grow someone's career. If you do it in a civilian world and so many people can't see their own potential and trying to be able to pull it out was something that that moment I, I still remember doing with a few Marines that I'm still friends with today. They still look up to me and that, that moment kind of really helped me understand what I do now with military dads. And it kind of comes back to something that I was writing a letter to myself during my early days of blogging. And it was essentially, why am I worth it? And it was a letter to myself, but I was writing it of why as a close friend wanted to remind me of why I was worth it as a human being. And in it, I was writing like early in life, you think that all these people pushed you down, that people bullied you, that all of this crap from early in your life is holding you back. And then all of a sudden my hands start typing and I'm like, I say to myself, 
early in life, people pushed you down so that later in life you could pull people up. And when I hit that moment, I was like, that's why that moment in the Marine Corps was so special because that's what I was doing. I was on the bottom and then I rose. And now I, then I had the perspective to see what people had in that view from both sides, from the looking down, but then also like when you were on the bottom looking up emotionally, what did that feel like? What that person, what was he going through? What was keeping him up at night? And I can empathize with that person almost like in an instant now because I can see it on their face. That's nice, and, yeah. And that's part of where how I got to where I am to be able to help dads even, to help them. I can see that better dad in them and help pull it out even if they don't believe it's inside as well. That's awesome. You know, and that's a keystone of of good leadership, great leadership, actually, you know, to take the experiences that you've had and to turn them around and be able to help others. I mean, that's the, that's the quintessential leader right there. You know, most leaders don't really, sometimes they do, depending on the situation, don't lead from the front. A lot of times they're leading from behind, but right next to them. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So you're, you're, that's awesome. I'm glad the way you frame that, because that's another way of looking at leadership. So, so tell us a little bit about transition. And then I want to find out what you're doing now and, and how dads can get the help they need. So my transition was pretty standard, I would say. So I had been a good lesson to learn from my dad, save my money. So I was saving like 800 bucks a month in Okinawa because you get cola and you get extra money over there. I was living on like 300. So I came out with like $14,000 and I didn't necessarily, I was going to a little bit of college, so I, I didn't really know maybe what I wanted to do when I grew up. I just knew that the Marine Corps says you need to get a job. I go to TAPS. He says to get a, a, go get a suit. I remember going to men's warehouse and saying, I need a suit for an interview when I got out. They gave me a suit, paid 400 bucks for it. Didn't think any of it because one, I had the money, but then also like, this is what the Marine Corps said. A suit will determine how well you get a job. So I did all that plan. I was unemployed for about two weeks. I got a job with a local generator manufacturer here. Did that for about four years. But the one thing you don't realize when you first go into corporate life is there's a uh, good quote that I remember from when Geraldo Rivera was actually a a combat correspondent in uh, Iraq during the initial war part of Iraq. That he said, like, there's Marines here leading platoons of people that are 20 years old and we don't even trust them to run the copier back home. (laughs) And that's the first thing you run into that. You have this wisdom, you have this experience, but you're not in a system that's designed to enable it. And you don't realize that you're part of that until you, and and for me, I just kind of adapted to what this civilian life, I just assumed that this was how it's supposed to work. And I was still growing. I was still using my curiosity. I was going from different things. And I spent about four year, four and a half years there. I had three different roles at that company. And then I went to a company for another eight years after that, explored more curiosity who I was. But it wasn't really until that tr- seminar that reignited that passion for leadership that really changed my perspective to realize what I was leaving on the table. I was growing. I was doing things. I was providing for my family. I was going to school initially, but eventually I had to drop out because I realized the love of, a love of electricity doesn't make me good at it. And it was being it was a very difficult time in my life. And it was about six months after dropping out of college of engineering where I was like, like my grass just dried up. What am I going to do? Like I, that was how my life was going to get better was get a degree. Cause that's what the Marine Corps told me. It was going to make my life better. And it was seminar. It was, I dropped out in January and that's seminar was in May of 2014, I think maybe 13. And that seminar ignited like a thirst to understand more about what that early breadcrumb from the Marine Corps 
had. And so, but like, if I were to go back to, before we go into the next phase of our conversation, the one thing that I wish would have accelerated and changed my life faster, like, I think you have to go through this process and it's there. It's something, it's ugly, but you start ugly to get to something beautiful. But the one thing that I was missing the entire time was conversations. I was always afraid to talk to people. Like every person I would go up to was that high school girl that was going to say no. And many of them <laughs> did in high school. So yeah. that, like fear of rejection, like my brain said, keep yourself safe. Don't say hello, because if they say no, then you have to relive that emotion. And I did that for 10 years. I mean, it's amazing that I'm married right now. And, but I was able to get through that part. But I wasn't having like friends. I didn't have conversations. I didn't go do networking. All of that kind of scared me to death. Well, you know, and, it's, I'm glad. Well, I'm glad. Another thing, too, and what this points out when you say it like that, Ben, is that intuition, there's an intuition connector with that. You know, you know, somehow you want to talk to that person, but that fear of rejection. So, you know, I'm, I'm thinking that maybe this is something to do with, you know, get in touch with your intuition and do, even though it's tough, take that step. You know, I, listen, man, your story is very similar to mine on so many different levels. It's crazy, but go ahead. So there's one thing that kind of, I sum up that transition, like the one ingredient that I wish that the military even trains you, like it would have predicted my success 10 times faster than it, the skills they teach you. And that the directly correlation of how many strangers you talk to on a weekly basis is directly correlated to the amount of opportunity you have in your life to change it. Love that, and man. Love that. If, if you're not talking to people and practicing it, because it's not something that comes easy, you need to routinely put reps on that muscle of talking to strangers. Even if you're serving, you're listening to this, find as many networking places to sell yourself, to understand others, to build a regular relationship before you have to try to sell something, because that's not how you build a relationship. Build the network, understand how you can help people with what you already know, like that rep of putting in and talking to people, like be addicted to talking to strangers because I am addicted to talking to strangers now. Like when I go to PodFest and I met you, I'm literally trying to talk to as many people as I can. And my mindset now is I'm always one, one conversation away from something amazing. But you'll miss 100% of those shots you don't take. And if you feel like you don't have opportunity in your life, it's directly correlated to the amount of strangers that you're talking to. You know, man, I absolutely love that. And I'll tell you why, because... You know, a lot of people, you see it out there a lot. Everybody thinks that everything is about money, this drive for money and success, and we're going to get to the top. But your drive is for something that's deeper that could lead to that. Your drive is for the relationship. And when mm -hmm. you just connection. Said, the connection. And if, you're, and if you're listening to that, ladies and gentlemen, that is so important because how many people do you meet? And within a minute, they're just, it's all about the money. You're all about the life and you're all about the relationship and the connection and how you can benefit from each other. I absolutely love your approach, man. I love it. And as a veteran, you don't realize the tribe that you had when you served and you don't realize the recipe to replace it. But the first ingredient is conversations. And when you start having sparks of interest or like when we talk, you have some common interest. There is something that happens to your soul that gets deeper and gets more alive. And if you don't feed that, that's a part of our human intuition. And like, I believe I kind of have a, another thing that kind of goes like the hope of humanity doesn't rely on the internet connecting people on Facebook. It relies on people having human connection. Like the more ways we figure out to be connected as a, as a society and a human race, an understanding of that, of each other, 
like that's how we're going to grow exponentially as the, the, the human condition as it is. But like that's something that you need to feed. And that community is something you need to acknowledge because for millions of years, men and women did life in tribes. And it's only in the last 200 that we thought we could do it alone. But that core programming needs to be needs to be there because you will feel an empty part inside and you won't know how to call it until maybe you listen to this interview and you're like, Ben just put words to something that I couldn't figure out, but now I do. Well, now take action on it. Now that you know you need to talk to people, go on Meetup, wherever you can find a conversation, go to every business connection, every, um, what's the, the Chamber of Commerce events in your city, whatever it may be, find a bunker labs, find a bunker brews, find that connection because that opportunity to change your life comes from a conversation that you're not having today. Outstanding, man. You know, so very, very true. And that is valuable information. So, you know, speaking of understanding, tell the listeners what you do for dads. So I'll tell a quick story that got me to where I am. So I, through the entire time that I was in the last four years, I've been trying to be something though on, on the side. And I didn't really have it clear in my heart. So I, I was just putting in the reps on writing, talking to people, doing Facebook lives, getting used to networking, connecting, helping people. I've been helping people for four years without any clear idea of what the hell I was doing. But I went to military infantry conference in 2018 in September. And that conference, I kind of had this idea for a veteran dad podcast. I had like five different podcast ideas, all different, almost completely different from each other. And I just went in with this idea because I was like, I, I didn't feel fully in committed. But then I told my story to a, a spouse that was just near me and I was talking to her and uh, I made her cry. Like she she was in tears after I started talking about what happens to dads when they come home from the military because her husband came home physically, but didn't come home mentally that he's just kind of on autopilot. And I was like, I just did that. And I didn't do any intentionally. It wasn't like I made her cry, but my words was able to trigger a feeling that she never felt potentially or that she wasn't acknowledging. And that moment and through a couple other people that kind of helped refine that moment, three months I, on the plane ride home, it was from Orlando. I wrote my business plan. I came up with the mission to bring every dad home. That was going to be my tagline. And, and then three months later was, was my, I was working on the podcast in January 1st of 2019. We launched the podcast and now I have, uh, we just launched our 70, 70th episode and, and I've been doing probably 25 fatherhood Fridays now where it's just me on the microphone. And the most amazing thing that I've learned through this podcast is veterans never switch from the legacy of their service to the legacy of their family. Nice. And they don't realize that their potential for their kids and their family is where the best chance they have to create a life that keeps on going beyond their time on this earth. Like your ability as a dad can create generational change into the future. And you talked about like taking your experience in the military and helping others around you. There is no better space for your leadership and your experience, good, bad, or ugly. Whatever you had happened to your life, you will assimilate it a lot of life in a short amount of time, most likely. That can create a more stronger and resilient child, an adult. And if you, you can gift even 20% of your experience to the military to your kids, that will create them as a better adult. And the crazy part is if you help your kids figure out who they are, they'll understand how they can go out in the world and change it. And I help dads recognize that potential, that energy to focus on their legacy. And I kind of have a process that I go through to help people. It begins with starting to talk to 
people. It also includes shutting down your ego, like stop lying to yourself that you know everything because you don't. You're not as cool as you think you are. That ego is going to tell you so many falsehoods as a veteran. Biggest liar, your ego. Yeah. And veterans on the other side, like when you go from Superman to Clark Kent, like that Clark Kent just inflates that ego to try to be something that he's not or no longer is. Yep. But and that's going to create a lot of emptiness inside because you're not going to feel in a lot of places you need to be feeling because your family has emotions that you need to feel. Your kids are going to have emotions. And I mean, I've interviewed dads all over the spectrum, amazing dads, dads that had some struggle. Then they came home. I've interviewed spouses of of, uh, husbands that killed themselves. I've interviewed one Marine who actually did take his own life or tried to, but his wife was able to get the rope down from the tree fast enough. And luckily through 12 days of a coma, he's now back to a normal life, but interviewing him like what his life was like going through that. And one thing that people miss is they, they're just not acknowledging those, those echoes inside their head that convince them that their, their family is better without them. And the major goal of the podcast is really just help invalidate that garbage. If, a, if an audience and listens to any of the interviews, my goal is always that they hear something that cancels out that voice inside their head that says you're the only one feeling this. Because the moment someone else says the same thing that you're feeling, your, your mind is wrong. And if you can start questioning that voice, then you can start questioning other things in your life. And that little micro fracture in that, that voice inside your head is that pivot to come home. I got iTunes reviews saying that, that wives have their husbands now because they started listening to the podcast and they started getting the help that they need. Like that's it, awesome. It, 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 I'm literally helping dads change their family tree and it's super amazing. And I'm super excited because I get more in touch with fatherhood myself. I have three kids, eight, five, and three. So I'm on the journey just like everybody else is. I admit my failures regularly. I talk about how my experiences help me as a father and what I'm doing to help coach my kids through life and what I'm doing to help make sure they get there. And all of that is all wrapped into the podcast and what I do. And I've never loved fatherhood more since I've started this podcast because I've gotten more connected to it. I have a larger network. I have more community. And I have more connection that with other dads. Like, I have an interview. It's just something, a conversation. And each one of those enriches my life, even if it doesn't actually get published. I'm already a richer man because of the conversations that I have. So I just love what I do. And now I love being able to help other dads step into the best version of their life and create that legacy of change for the family that keeps on going. That's awesome, man. You know, your enthusiasm and your passion. I mean, anybody listening can hear it. And, you know, and and people are listening because you've just passed the 10,000 download mark. So don't kid yourself, man. You are touching lives in ways that uh, that not a lot of people do. And it's just going to get better because of your attitude. You know, let me ask you this. You know, what mantra do you live by every day? Do you have one, Ben? What mantra do I live by? I would say it's evolved based on the season of what I'm going through at the time. So like during COVID-19, my current mantra is that there's only one way through COVID-19, and that's to grow through it. So on January 27th of this year, 2020, I lost my job. And so now I'm an unemployed but stay-at-home dad, which is exactly what I've always wanted. So I've I've gotten right where I want to be. So life is a little bit easier, but so I have the more opportunity to actually do more things. So I've actually taken this opportunity to really set some big goals and take big action. I'm, uh, there's a 75 hard uh, challenge from Andy Priscilla that's out there on social media for the last year which is doing five, some five things for 75 days. So I've been doing that. I'm on day 24 now. And so for me, like my mantra is to get the outside version physically because some health 
Has it been something I've been able to get to where I want? I've been able to get my heart where I want it to be and my soul where I want it to be, but I haven't been able to get the outside. So when I look in the mirror, I want to be able to, to love the person on the outside as much as I now love the person on the inside. And every day I'm taking massive action to try to get there so that on the other side of this coronavirus, I'm exactly who I've always wanted to be on the outside and the inside. And then I am a completely different spot in my life to then create opportunity that I've always wanted, but maybe didn't believe because the person looking back in the mirror was that still little uh, soft, weak sophomore that didn't have any friends. So I wanted to finally kill that image and step into my best life of being able to love the outside and the inside. And I've been really stepping into understanding masculine energy as well of in order to like be able to be truly masculine, you have to love the good, the bad and the ugly of your life. And you have to understand how it all happened for you. And this one last challenge is kind of like my next thing to work through. And I'm sure there'll be something else on this. You never stop growing. It's just move on to something else. But this has kind of been my mantra to really figure out how to love everything about myself on the outside and the inside, because most people don't acknowledge that. You can create a great person on the outside or you can have a great person on the inside, and but they need to match. If you want to be truly masculine, to be able to stand the hurricane that's going to be sometimes a feminine energy, you need to be able to be not triggered by things. You need to be able to understand how to create strong roots of your own self. And that's really been where I've been putting a lot of my own mental and personal growth challenges. That's very cool, man, because, you know, what you just described is what I call self-care on steroids. And that is and you, and you know, one thing that you said in there, if anybody caught it, was most people don't do it. And that's the reason why we have so many people with unfulfilled lives not being the, the, the best they can be. You know, we've heard that. It's so cliche, but that's that's awesome. So I would say your mantra is like, again, Ben Colloy, self-care on steroids. <laughs> that, that That's your mantra, man. So. Let me ask you this. What does freedom mean to you? Freedom to me, in, it means a couple of different ways. So if I think of it from the American freedom, I think of it not from the context of like fighting every day. But to me, I, I think of like American freedom in the context that in 1776 or 1775, whenever the declaration, I probably bad American. I can't get that date right. But whenever that <laughs> date was right, those founding fathers defined the definition of freedom still lives today. Like, and that they said all the world before, this is something new going forward. And it's been a model for other countries to adopt and follow in the world. And more countries have had freedom within their countries now than ever before. And so I identified those at first from the founding fathers and that's kind of grown. And that's what I kind of believe the American ideal is like when I'm at a 4th of July parade, I cry because I think of the roots of that freedom and what has been able to create and have all this amazing families and memories and the sacrifice of all the people that died in war to create this. I Like when I first came home from 4th of July from Okinawa and I was seeing how Americans were living, I'm like, they really have no idea how the roots of freedom come from to be able to create this moment so they can exist. So that's a powerful moment on the 4th of July for me that I still experience still today. I still cry when the fired fighters go by because I think of that service and everything going connected to it. But me personally, to me, I'm on a mission to, to be able to create freedom, to raise my family in a way that continues that depth. So like my wife's a school teacher, so we'll be anchored to the school year for 10 months out of the year. But, but like my perfect idea of freedom is that we actually just pull the plug on life after school gets out and we go on the road for two months, not never come home and just go from like Airbnb to Airbnb and just explore life for those two months and then come back when school starts because there's nothing more than I want in the season of life just to be a dad 
and to be able to do it in a way that enriches my kid's life, to help them understand who they are, to give them the gift of understanding how they fit into the world. Because many kids graduate high school and they have no idea how they fit in the world because their parents kept them on a school autopilot program that doesn't teach them who they are. And unless they can figure out in high school and the, the tech classes that they offer, or the electives, which most of them don't, that you need kids to get outside of their life in order to figure out how they can fit into it. So my version of freedom is creating a family legacy where I can enrich my kid's life and then I can do it on a way that I have time freedom, that I'm not held to someone other's choices. And I can always invest in my family first without having to worry about some other expectation of time or something from someone else because I just really want to be a dad right now. And for me, the moment that everything that I do, I try to correlate around that memory and that idea. And I've been chasing it for about four years now, this idea of freedom of time, location and money freedom. But to me, being able to be free to pursue your own passion, to step into your best life without other people holding you back or saying, you can't do that because I didn't give you permission to do it type stuff. Like, I don't want any of that. For me, I want to just be like kind of an untethered soul, but in a way that connects me to to help other people connect to their untethered soul. I like that. You know, so I'm sitting here taking all this in. This has been a great conversation. And I'm thinking, well, if somebody asked me, who's Ben Kaloy? If they came to me, you know, you've talked to him, you've met him. Who is he? This is what I'd have to say. And I'm just thinking about this. Ben is a fatherhood sensei who practices self-care on steroids. His mission to help fathers raise their game is relevant in today's world. Reach out to him. Give him a call. I know he'd love to hear from you. That's that's what I'd have to say because that's exactly my impression. And just knowing you in the short you know, couple hours that we've actually talked, that's what you do, and that's the that's what you personify, and it's awesome, man. You're 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 really you're a class act, and I've it's all good stuff, Ben. So how can how can people find out more about you, your podcasts, and and what you do in leadership? How can they reach you? So before I do that, I'll give you my thought of what someone I, I had. I don't know if I've said this before, but I, before it came to my mind was Ben Colloy is a heart centered leader who gives a shit. Yeah, well, that's like good. that's, Dude, that's a, I'm a little bit. More I've had a couple other people say like, you're just a guy that gives a shit. And, and it really you, you do deeply care about other people and how they feel and in a way that makes them feel better. Like I've been on podcast interviews and they'll joke like Ben's just the kind of guy that makes you feel better when he's around around because he focuses on lifting you up and elevating you and complimenting you and making you feel like a better person. That's a little bit like the magic that I can bring to a conversation. I've had, I can't tell me times I've had people like, wow, that's just an amazing conversation and I can feel your energy. So I want to thank you also for having me on this podcast because every time I get on a podcast and get able to talk about it, it gets me excited to, to go bigger and better and more connected the ways you can check us out is the website is everything's on there, militaryveterandad.com. And there's also a, I'm on Instagram, which is the best way to reach me, Ben at underscore Kaloy. And there's also an Instagram handle at militaryveterandad on Instagram as well. That's the best place to drop me a DM. I am more than willing to have a conversation. And I often say I don't have an official product yet, but my, I do offer, which is free of charge, which is friendship. And I show up in your life in the way that I wish I had someone show up in my life when I was 30. Because the secret of my podcast is I am my own avatar. My avatar's name is Daniel. My middle name is Daniel. I want to be the friend in your life that I wish I had in my life when I was 30. So if anything resonated, if you need a conversation, someone reaching down to help lift you up because men fall in pits. And this is why tribes are essential because there was always someone there to lift you up. 
I'm always willing, my, my cell phone number is on my website. Don't be shy. I love having a conversation and because every conversation can change my life just as easily as it could change yours. That's awesome, Ben. You know, well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Our conversation today has been with the fatherhood sensei, Ben Colloy, United States Marine, on a serious freaking mission because he gives a shit. And uh, when you meet Ben in person, you'll know exactly why he's so special. And and thank you for taking the time with us on Straight Out of Combat, Ben. It means a lot. By the way, a mutual friend of ours said to tell you hi. You know who it is, Shay. You know, uh, Shay, Shay Sparks, you know, who introduced us. And uh, she just wanted me to say that. But again, I'm truly blessed to have known you and, and to know you and to have you on the show. And I wish you all the best and look forward to our next time that we can have a conversation. And our friendship is just getting started. So I'm excited to see where our random connection and podfest grows to. It's going to be crazy, Ben. I, I appreciate you, man. Keep going and uh, Godspeed to your family and, and your wife and all your kids up there in Wisconsin. You're in our prayers. Appreciate you, John. You gotta light them up before they burn it down. Thank you for listening to another episode of Straight Out of Combat Radio, audio medicine from Green Zone Hero. If you liked what you heard, then tell others about us. Like us and download us. And please remember, freedom is not free, and combat veterans are vital assets. They're not broken. down